0: Welcome to the Daedalus Workshop. Episode 12. We're in season one reading a people's history of the United States, and we're in chapter nine still, titled Slavery Without Submission, Emancipation Without Freedom.
1: This is part two of three.
0: That's right. Welcome back from Christmas. We hope everyone had a very merry Christmas, good holiday. Um, I mean, we
1: haven't had Christmas yet. We're
0: recording on Tuesday.
1: (laughs) But yeah, Merry Christmas.
0: Yeah, Merry Christmas. Um. From, oh, the, go- from the ghost of
1: future past. That's right. <laughs> Literally? Literally? Future past?
0: Yeah, a little bit. You're going to hear it in the future, but we're recording it in the past. The ghost of future past.
1: I've always wanted to be the ghost of future past. Uh, I auditioned. I, I, I didn't I didn't make it. Uh, but uh, today's my day.
0: The only Christmas play I was ever in was at this little uh, this little church in Waukesha that was called Grace Bible Fellowship at the were you, time. Were you a centurion? I was a boy who ate lettuce.
1: <laughs> lettuce
0: yes i had a uh i had a head i had an iceberg head of lettuce and there was some song and they were being real punny with it so there was something like let us something something oh there so we go i held there up we go. the lettuce and then i ate it while was, like on stage that's all i remember yeah
1: that's uh that's an important role yeah the boy the boy the boy, <laughs> the boy who ate lettuce. yeah <laughs> Uh. The second part of chapter nine covers the events during Lincoln's life, the civil war and the aftermath of both. Let's start where we left off. Let us quote (laughs) the national government would end slavery only under conditions controlled by whites and only when required by the political and economic needs of the business elite of the North. It was Abraham Lincoln who combined perfectly the needs of business, the political ambition of the new Republican Party, and the rhetoric of humanitarianism. He would keep the abolition of slavery not at the top of his list of priorities, but close enough to the top so it could be pushed there temporarily by abolitionist pressures and by practical political advantage. Lincoln could skillfully blend the interests of the rich and the interests of the black at a moment in history when these interests met. And he could link these two with the growing section of Americans, the white, up-and-coming, economically ambitious, politically active middle class. As Richard Hofstadter puts it, "...thoroughly middle class in his ideas, he spoke for those millions of Americans who had begun their lives as hired workers, as farmhands, clerks, teachers, mechanics, flatboatmen, and rail splitters, and had passed into the ranks of landed farmers, prosperous grocers, lawyers, merchants, physicians, and politicians." Lincoln could argue with lucidity and passion against slavery on moral grounds while acting cautiously in practical politics. He believed the institution of slavery is founded on injustice and bad policy, but that the promulgation of abolition doctrine tends to increase rather than abate its evils. Put against this Frederick Douglass' statements on struggle or Garrison's, Sir, slavery will not be overthrown without excitement, a most tremendous excitement. Lincoln read the Constitution strictly to mean that Congress, because of the Tenth Amendment, reserving to the states' powers not specifically given to the national government, could not constitutionally bar slavery in the states. When it was proposed to abolish slavery in the District of Columbia, which did not have the rights of a state, but was directly under the jurisdiction of Congress, Lincoln said this would be constitutional. But it should not be done unless the people in the district wanted it. Since most there were white, this killed the idea. As Hofstetter said of Lincoln's statement, it breathes the fire of an uncompromising insistence on moderation. Lincoln refused to denounce the fugitive slave law publicly. He wrote to a friend, I confess, I hate to see the poor creatures hunted down, but I bite my lips and keep quiet. And when he did propose, in 1849, as a congressman, a resolution to abolish slavery in the District of Columbia, he accompanied this with a section requiring local authorities to arrest and return fugitive slaves coming into Washington. This led Wendell Phillips, the Boston abolitionist, to refer to him years later as that slave hound from Illinois. He opposed slavery, but could not see blacks as equals, so a constant theme in his approach was to free the slaves and send them back to Africa. In his 1858 campaign in Illinois for the Senate against Stephen Douglas, Lincoln spoke differently depending on the views of his listeners and also perhaps depending on how close it was to the election. Speaking in northern Illinois in July, in Chicago, he said, Let us discard all this quibbling about this man and the other man, this race and that race, and the other race being inferior, and therefore they must be placed in an inferior position. Let us discard all these things and unite as one people throughout this land until we shall once more stand up declaring that all men are created equal. Two months later, in Charleston, in southern Illinois, Lincoln told his audience, I will say, then, that I am not, nor have ever been, in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. That I am not, nor have ever been, in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to hold office, nor to intermarry with white people. And inasmuch as they cannot so live, while they do remain together, there must be the position of superior and inferior. And I, as much as any other man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. End quote.
0: So apparently Lincoln was famously a racist?
1: Uh, <laughs> I think race is a bit of a strong term.
0: <clears throat> no, he's speaking as a politician in these in these two settings, right? Yeah, and and I,
1: I would say that what we saw of him with the Mexican-American War, mm-hmm. he's a smart statesman. Right, right. Whatever else you say of him, he's a smart statesman.
0: Correct. And quick side note, have you ever been to Southern Illinois?
1: Um, you know, I knew some people from there. Yeah. And uh, they they wore cowboy hats and cowboy boots. And had thick and they, Southern they, accents. They, they thought they were from the South.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: And I, I wasn't
0: into it. It was so down
1: there. A couple, I found it very strange.
0: Yeah, I was down there a couple times playing music down there, and it was it, it was hard to grasp that like we were still within the state of Illinois, a north, a generally considered northern state. It's like this is like the deep south down here. Everybody drink Mountain Dew, telling me about you know the stories about the cousin, and I was shocked by. I mean, I know we live in Wisconsin, where you go up north and got the Youpers, right. Well, that's tech. up but uh but yeah yeah.
1: you got a deep thick sort of north woods thing going on Mm -hmm. but that's not a southern thing No, it's a different thing
0: yes yeah so i was uh i was shocked like i have i have some family that now live in texas uh at at the time they did too so we'd been down there visiting them and i was uh I've always been surprised at how little of an accent there is in parts of Texas. Texas is so huge that there's like a ton of, you know, but yeah, it's it's just in Southern Illinois. There's this thick Southern accent. And I don't know if that's what it was like at this time that Lincoln was speaking, but maybe it was and why his, um, like stump speeches were so dramatically different as far as the, um, like the rhetoric he was using to gain support
1: yeah I mean and and certainly i I think these two quotes place together it it's 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 a fairly large difference
0: mm-hmm. and I wanna I want to ask one thing so specifically in the District of Columbia I'm not clear at this time at how much Congress had control over the District of Columbia right it doesn't seem clear as if if like um the vote of the people mattered for the governing of the District of Columbia like if he could just with his pen um if the Congress could change things, right? To flee the slaves in the state. But um, what he talks about there is kind of like this, I, an, a big part of what led to the Civil War, but that we still talk about today is, is states' rights and the rights of the people to kind of choose their manner of uh, government, governance. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what does our system of government truly demand? Do we always follow the will of the people, right? If they vote for it, give it to them. Or should you always try to do what's right? Even if it goes against what the people that you're governing would vote for.
1: I mean, okay. And so, I know
0: I know, I I, I said do what's right. And yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There's like, how do you define so that? You talk the will of the people
1: mm-hmm. versus the will of the representative. Yeah. That seems like a more fair, because if it's will the people versus what's right, I'm going to
0: choose what's right every time. Right. Well, and the reason I say what's right is because it seems that Lincoln is conflicted in this and how he's talking personally, right? His, uh, oh man, was it? Yeah, he's like certainly
1: a, conflicted between his his personal wish and his public yeah. needs, public wish. I don't know public wish is the right term, but yeah. Yeah. What he wants to do personally and what he feels like he's supposed to do publicly, professionally. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He's certainly
0: conflicted. And there's, I, I don't want to jump ahead because I think that's what we're about to get into here. But just kind of, um, even at even at that small level, right? So he's not the president, just the District of Columbia where it seems like Congress has significant influence over at this time. Yeah. But if the people of that area don't want it, he was hesitant to publicly uh, support it.
1: Well, I mean, so what the quote says is that Lincoln said that abolishing it in uh, District Columbia would be constitutional, but it shouldn't be done unless the people wanted it. Right. So not that he didn't support it. It's, I mean, it seems like he said, "No, we could, we we can do this, but the people also have to be on board on board mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well." Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, like this this second quote was one of the first things where like I had never. I was surprised to read the second quote um, yeah. with Lincoln saying, uh, I'm not in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. That was surprising for me. Mm-hmm. Like I had a reaction to that as I was, as I, as I was going through this reading. This, I was like,
0: huh. It helped me finally view him as a politician rather than this Christ-like figure, I guess. Sure. Right? Like yeah. he's gotta appeal he's gotta give he's gotta get votes from a lot of different people and politicians will say whatever they say in front of whoever they're standing in front of.
1: Okay, so let's 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 just take a moment, to talk about that then. Yeah. This idea of having to appeal to people mm-hmm. and so putting forward what they want to hear. Or what you think they want to hear. Yeah. Cause yeah, it I, it I can't say good. exactly what Lincoln mm-hmm. wanted. It seems like Uh, personally, he did want at least a step towards equality, if not full equality. Right. He seems to be leaning that direction towards equality. Right. Um, But he certainly uh, attempts to mirror this crowd and speaks against equality, Mm -hmm. or at least neutral. Maybe against equality is too strong. Yeah. uh, But takes a neutral stance. Yep. I don't like that. No, (laughs) it doesn't taste good. I don't want to vote for someone who (laughs) behaves that way. Right. Right. And I'm also not sure if I'm ever even going to get the opportunity to vote for someone who doesn't behave that way.
0: Right. Do you you have to play that game to even get into a theater in which we would have the option to vote for you? I mean- On the national scale, to get into any sort of national uh, spotlight bright enough that someone like me, Jason, uh, would actually see you on a ballot do you have to play that game? So you have to buy in too much to the to the grinding political machine and play these uh, games of just speaking to saying whatever you need to say, whatever you think people want to hear, based on the town, county, state, region that you're in. That is just gone. That that any hope of voting for someone who stands on principle is just wiped away by that point.
1: I mean, like, my answer to that is, like, if if that is the game you have to play, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. If you have to play that game, then, like, I'm not interested in the game at all. Yeah. The game, the I, that's not a game I want to be part of. I, I I wash my hands of it. I'll step away, <laughs> and, and whatever happens will happen, mm. and so yeah. be it. But like, I'm not interested in being involved in a corrupt game.
0: Yeah. See, and I... No, I, thank you. Yeah. And, like, I want to I wanna parse out, right? I like, I want to do the best I can to, like, all right, so it's all bullshit. But this one doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> like I buy the lesser of two evils argument because the lesser of two evils is less evil.
1: Yes. So, okay. And, and that's, this is a great like distillation. Yeah. Because at this moment in my life, my response lesser of two evils is no, thank you. I'm not interested in evil. Right.
0: You're like option three, I'm out.
1: And so I would mm-hmm. just remove myself right. and there will be a victor and I will respond in, in kind and, mm-hmm. you know, if you're talking about a president election, whoever whoever comes out on top, all right, then I will follow them as the president because that's the way that this yeah. thing works. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm not interested in being a part of it. That, that, that's why I'm at in this moment in life. I might change. I've yeah. changed in the past. But right now, yeah, lesser of two evils. I choose no evil.
0: Yeah, and I almost feel like a responsibility to, like, suffer through those decisions every, every, every ballot, states elections, national elections, to, like, vote between a giant douche and a turd sandwich because— and I get it. There might be some like some policy that gets closer, right? Yeah. There might be some incremental change. There's going to be some trash along the way, but that gets us a little closer. So it's like, I don't know.
1: No, I, yeah, and and I think it's fair. And I think the beauty of like uh, sort of believing in individual freedom is like I respect your decision. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. expect you to make the same one I'm making. Right. I don't look down on you for making a different one than I do. Uh, you know, I just expect that you made that decision intentionally.
0: You, I think it's important. That's like all I
1: ask is like make your decisions intentionally. Yeah. Have a reason why you're doing this.
0: I agree, and I think it's important that a lot of people like you exist, and a lot of people like me exist. Like there needs to be people that are willing to play along with the current system to like maintain it in some way and try to seek the lesser evil. Try nah, to man. make it better. Nah, pure anarchy. Let's go. But if you have those people who won't play along. And it's big enough, somebody, somebody someday will be able to speak to those people and to people like me who have been wanting that, right? Been here trying to like maintain, right? Yeah, yeah, Trying to maintain the garden, trying to pull the weeds. And you're like, it's a total loss. We have to till the whole thing under. Somebody someday might be able to come along and bring us together and form, you know, a powerful coalition there. So that's why, like... But for that person to even have the bravery to totally step outside of the current system, they need to know that like people like you exist. There needs to be enough of a demographic yeah. outside the system that won't play the game that demands mm-hmm.
1: a, a, sh- a shift in how the whole thing is, is played.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's a good that's a good take. Um, all right, we'll be coming back to Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So, how did tensions increase to the point of civil war? Quote. Behind the secession of the South from the Union, after Lincoln was elected president in the fall of 1860 as candidate of the new Republican Party, was a long series of policy clashes between South and North. The clash was not over slavery as a moral institution. Most Northerners did not care enough about slavery to make sacrifices for it, certainly not the sacrifice of war. It was not a clash of peoples. Most northern whites were not economically favored, not politically powerful. Most southern whites were poor farmers, not decision makers. But it was a clash of elites. The northern elite wanted economic expansion, free land, free labor, a free market, a high protective tariff for manufacturers, a bank of the United States. The slave interests opposed all that. They saw Lincoln and the Republicans as making continuation of their pleasant and prosperous way of life impossible in the future. So, when Lincoln was elected, seven southern states seceded from the Union. Lincoln initiated hostilities by trying to repossess the federal base at Fort Sumter, South Carolina, and four more states seceded. The Confederacy was formed. The Civil War was on. Lincoln's first inaugural address in March 1861 was conciliatory toward the South and the seceded states. I have no purpose, directly or indirectly, to interfere with the institution of slavery in the states where it exists. I believe I have no lawful right to do so, and I have no inclination to do so. And with the four months on, when General John C. Fremont in Missouri declared martial law and said slaves of owners resisting the United States were to be free, Lincoln countermanded this order. He was anxious to hold in the Union the slave states of Maryland, Kentucky, Missouri, and Delaware. It was only as the war grew more bitter, the casualties mounted, desperation to win heightened, and the criticism of the abolitionists threatened to unravel the tattered coalition behind Lincoln that he began to act against slavery. Hofstetter puts it this way, like a delicate barometer, he recorded the trend of pressures, and as the radical pressure increased, he moved toward the left. Wendell Phillips said that if Lincoln was able to grow, it's because... We have watered him. Racism in the North was as entrenched as slavery in the South, and it would take the war to shake both. New York blacks could not vote unless they owned $250 in property, a qualification not applied to whites. A proposal to abolish this, put on the ballot in 1860, was defeated 2-1, to although Lincoln carried New York by 50,000 votes. Frederick Douglass commented, the black baby of Negro suffrage was thought too ugly to exhibit on so grand an occasion. The Negro was stowed away like some people put out of sight their deformed children when company comes. End quote.
0: Okay, so how should we analyze what was said versus what was done? Yeah, I think that's a
1: good, I think that's a good question to ask. Um, My... My general view on human beings and uh, beliefs mm-hmm. is that human beings have three layers of beliefs. Okay. There are uh, the things that you say you believe, mm-hmm. which you see like in politicians. Yeah. There are the things you think you believe, which uh, your beliefs may be hidden even to you. Yeah. And there are the things your actions reveal about what you actually believe. Okay. Uh, so often people will operate out of... They can be operating out of three different belief structures. Yeah. They can be saying one thing, thinking another, and behaving in, a, in even a third way.
0: Right, right.
1: I tend to think the actions reveal the deepest level of belief.
0: So if the action reveal the deepest level of belief, does the intent of the action matter? Like, how do you judge the action? So... <clears throat> And I think, I think this is a question that Zinn is, te- is going after in this whole chapter, but in the second half of the chapter, he's really trying to address like why, why was the Civil War fought or what led to the Civil War being fought? So we yeah like like we standard history talks about it was fought to free the slaves, and that is the outcome that was achieved. We paid a blood price to correct one of America's greatest sins, right? Zinn is digging into what actually incited the Civil War, and it may not have been the most noble of uh, of reasons. But if the act, if the end result, right, the act of freeing the slaves was still achieved, like, <laughs> what what rhetoric do we judge? What's, what, what? Uh, oh, it's,
1: well, it's just not black and white. Yeah. <laughs> oh great okay done (laughs) but but that's what it is right like it's like so at the at the I mean if you were to analyze the Civil War at the midpoint Mm -hmm. you'd be like people are dying and we got into this for not even good reasons like if a modern person went back in time sure analyze it at the midpoint yeah you'd be like this is bad full bad Mm -hmm. if you analyze it at the very end you'd be like the slaves are free this was incredible yeah so so it's not one or the other I mean like most things it's it's both there's some good there's some bad yeah
0: i agree uh it's just like the idea that i was i was kind of like chewing on with this like people especially politicians just people who's living are made off of speaking right they say a lot of things we have an outgoing president who said a lot of things over the last four years yeah they eventually also do things right they enact certain things sometimes they're contradictory to what they were saying sometimes they're not sometimes it's hard to decide whether they are or to even see the outcome. And like, how do we decide? <laughs> cause we have to judge people oftentimes based on what they're saying. Right. Cause, whoa, cause whoa, wait,
1: wait. how do we decide what you said? How do we decide then you stopped? How do we decide what?
0: Yeah. Uh, what drove the action? That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. yeah right. Okay. Cause we have to, cause oftentimes, especially when it comes to politicians, um, they're promoting some action that they plan on doing. And they're using speech to garner support around this action that they want to perform, this policy, whatever. Yeah. And you can find contradictory statements from virtually every politician that's out there. But the whole they're trying to get you to vote for them to support their policies, which is a specific thing that they want to do. So if they're if they're saying things like Lincoln has done that seem contradictory to the end goal and end goal, I'll say, of freeing the slaves and ending slavery in America and keeping the union together. Like, do we, is it okay to elevate certain quotes, certain speeches, which I think has been done in standard histories when talking about Lincoln? Like I said, he was kind of like a Christ-like figure in American history, in the, yeah, yeah, in the yeah, histories yeah. I let up Yeah, it's, and it's, because sure it's a an ele- figure. Yeah, it's an elevation of all those speeches that are in line
1: it's also just a mythologizing of the past,
0: sure, right? But but it's through selection, right? You just select like, okay, what is the outcome? Well, Lincoln, Emancipation Proclamation, Thirteenth Amendment, Lincoln, boom. Okay, now we just find every speech that supports us the whole way. And I know we talk, like, there's gray in all of this, but is that is that kind of wrong to do? When when talking about the the actions that a historical figure took. Because people say a lot of stuff. So one of the beauties
1: about uh, Greek culture is their heroes were all myths. <laughs> so they had these mythic figures that were the ideal, uh-huh. and they had like gods that were the ideal of war or love or whatever, mm-hmm. but they were myths. They weren't real people. So they weren't colored with... Some of them were certainly tragically flawed, yeah. but they were intentionally tragically flawed. Right, they weren't like unfortunately, tragically flawed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then when America comes and begins this like founding process, where it's this new nation, and we create our- super new, yeah. There's this mythologizing that like kind of has to happen because if you go to any country, they have long myths. Well, because
0: there are people of incredible, of, of great influence in their time. Yeah. So whenever you're teaching history, it's like there's things that happen. There are these major historic events that are caused by something and generally there's figures that help drive those events
1: it also helps you to remember the history
0: yeah and is that
1: so does I would, it
0: cheapen does it cheapen our knowledge
1: what do you mean by cheapen
0: like does does focusing on the mythologizing and the Christ-like redemptive figure of Lincoln does it does it cheapen your true understanding of history if you don't know That there's it's more complex.
1: Hmm. Um, I mean, it it, it sort of like depends, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do you do you want the reality pill, which is going to be not black and white and not pretty and difficult and messy? Yeah. Or do you want to live in the myth? Well, because what because I mean, you think about like being a child and growing up. Like, there are people that have just refused to look at their parents, and like seen just tragic flaws. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not tragic flaws, but like, oh, my mom or my dad, like they weren't perfect. Yeah, They yeah. still view, th- yeah. like they're adults, but they still view their parents as perfect because it's easier for them to yeah. deal with their parent not being perfect, like fractures, like their very real life. Right. And would cause just like everyday actions to become difficult for a set period of time. Yeah. Um, and possibly... They don't have the psychological, emotional stabili- stability to handle right. that, mm-hmm. and so maybe I would, I could argue, maybe it's better for them. They're not mature enough yet, right? And the best thing for them is to keep their parents as perfect figures, yeah, so they can just function in life. Um, I think it's kind of a process of like you have to want it, yeah. You have to make a choice to say like, all right, I'm going to go back into this stuff, and I'm going to like take the reality pill and do my best to kind of figure out what's going on, and. I will eventually come out the other side, and then I'll have to make some decisions about: Have I changed? Yeah. Do I think differently?
0: And that's what. And that's a long process, right? And this is what's a struggle for me because, like, I don't want to, I don't want to read through this book right and just go. If if I read um, a statement that conflicts with my prior idea of of a figure like Abraham Lincoln and just just like, and read that and go, okay, it sounds like it conflicts, but here's how it actually backs up what I already believe. I don't want to do that. But I also just don't want to throw everything away that I've learned. Right. Because like, okay. So, so based on just,
1: we're we're two quotes in. Yeah. I know. I know. So, so based on the two quotes, what would you have to throw away? If, if you were to take Zen wholesale, Mm -hmm. which I don't recommend that, but, if you were taking them wholesale, what would you have to throw away in order to incorporate
0: these two quotes? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I could clearly answer. Sure. That. But it's just, it just it feels like one thing that I have to get rid of it, not get rid of, but it's one thing that would almost have to be like inserted in a conversation about civil war. It's like Um, yeah. Actually, it was not started to free the slaves. It was to prop up the political, social, and economic elites of the time. Blah blah blah. Right. Which is Sin's argument throughout this whole book. If but it's true, I, it's true,
1: though. Yeah, not that not that it's easy to decide which narrative is more true, mm-hmm. but if there's two conflicting narratives, one is going to be one is going to be more true. I I, I mean, like get it would take work, right, mm-hmm. to personally, because you need to do the work for yourself, essentially. Right. Or find something you can really trust, whatever. Whatever, <clears throat> But there should be some kind of statement ahead of time about wanting to free the slaves.
0: Like uh, like before the secession? Like the goal like, of the yeah. war
1: is to free the slaves. Because if that statement can't be found, yeah. then you're putting that argument backwards based on the
0: outcome. Right. It, right, except writing it back based on the outcome because that's what I was taught, and I don't want to relearn anything. Yeah, like if it's I'm important lazy. for you yeah.
1: for the goal of the war, because the outcome yeah. of the war is the slaves were free.
0: Even just, even just the the, I'm not going to go. Nothing so dramatic is tearing down, but the the diminishing of of Lincoln's mythology. Just so, having having to having to kind of accept that and.
1: I don't know if it was in, I don't know if it's in one of the quotes that we have here, but I mean, the margins on Lincoln, the quote that I remember from the chapter was Lincoln was a first rate, second rate man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: like, the the margin is you're going from an A plus to a B plus.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm going like, that's not that far off. I mean, like, realistically, you're still passing the class. Right. You're still doing well. (laughs) So, like, if you move Lincoln from an A plus to a B plus, there's not a whole lot in the line. It's not like mm-hmm. this is some wild theory about Lincoln being some raving racist. Right, right. Um, although there was some rhetoric that is certainly not good right. or positive in any light, even if it's just trying to get votes, I st- I'm still not riding with that. Um, but I don't think Zinn is arguing that Lincoln was a was a racist. No, I... It seems like it's an A-plus to a B-plus. Those are the margins.
0: And what I think he's actually pointing out that Lincoln's primary goal was to hold the union together. When it all began, that was numero uno. I need to keep the union together.
1: That's what I was thinking as well, was that priority one was keep the union together. Priority two Mm -hmm. was move the nation towards equality. Yeah. All men are created equal. Yeah. And maybe we'll come back to the, the priorities thing. Yeah. But for, uh, for now, okay, where am I at? Here we go. <laughs> we, uh,
0: knew it, we knew it would have to be a three-parter.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so let's get into um, kind of the goings-ons, goings ons in is It'll fly, it'll fly. Quote, the spirit of Congress, even after the war began, was shown in a resolution it passed in the summer of 1861 with only a few dissenting votes. The war this war is not waged for any purpose of overthrowing or interfering with the rights of established institutions of those states
0: but to preserve the union. And that's what you're talking about where like that seems like a pretty clear statement.
1: Uh there are like four ellipses in in that quote. Sure. So I don't know how many words were taken out but it does seem it does seem clear. Yeah. Does seem clear. And you could Google that phrase and get the full quote. I I bet it's I bet it's pretty clear. Yeah. But maybe not. I don't know.
0: Hey, excited for the addendum to this season. Yeah, I know you are. I know you are.
1: <laughs> and we'll get there and we'll hash it all up. Yeah. The abolitionists stepped up their campaign. Emancipation petitions poured into Congress in 1861 and 1862. In May of that year, Wendell Phillips said, Abraham Lincoln may not wish it. He cannot prevent it. The nation may not will it, but the nation cannot prevent it. I do not care what men want or wish. The Negro is the pebble in the cogwheel, and the machine cannot go on until you get him out. In July, Congress passed a Confiscation Act, which enabled the freeing of slaves of those fighting the Union. But this was not enforced by the Union generals, and Lincoln ignored the non-enforcement. Garrison called Lincoln's policy stumbling, halting, prevaricating, irresolute, weak, besotted. And Phillips said Lincoln was a first-rate, second-rate man. An exchange of letters between Lincoln and Horace Greeley, editor of the New York Tribune, in August of 1862 gave Lincoln a chance to express his views. Greeley wrote, Dear Sir, I do not intrude to tell you, for you must know already, that a great proportion of those who triumphed in your election are sorely disappointed and deeply pained by the policy you seem to be pursuing with regard to the slaves of rebels." We require of you as the first servant of the Republic, charged especially and preeminently with this duty, that you execute the laws. We think you are strangely and disastrously remiss with regard to the emancipating provisions of the new Confiscation Act. We think you are unduly influenced by the counsels of certain politicians hailing from the border slave states. Greeley appear to the practical need of winning the war. We must have scouts, guides, spies, cooks, teamsters, diggers, and choppers from the blacks of the South. Whether we allow them to fight for us or not, I entreat you to render a hearty and unequivocal obedience to the law of the land. Lincoln had already shown his attitude by his failure to countermand an order of one of his commanders, General Henry Halleck, who forbade fugitive Negroes to enter his army's lines. Now he replied to Greeley, Dear sir, I have not meant to leave anyone in doubt. My paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union, and is not either to save or destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could do it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because it helps to save this Union. And what I forbear, I forbear because I do not believe it would help to save the Union. I have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty, and I intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free. Yours, A. Lincoln. So, Lincoln distinguished between his personal wish and his official duty. End quote.
0: Is it honorable to go against your personal wish in service to your duty?
1: I mean, when when your personal wish is the moral and ethical thing to do, I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that means you've been you've been. I mean, okay. So the the reality of being the president is mm-hmm. not something I can understand. Right. The amount of pressure that is on you has to be enormous. Yeah. Uh, and then to be the president when you have half of the union seceded mm-hmm. is even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's then it becomes the fate of the union. Yeah. Um, however, uh, so like my personal opinion is that... Uh, freeing people is more important than the fate of America. And certainly there are some people who would make an argument that uh, the fate of America and the freedom that provides on a global scale is more important. Uh, I think that you could make that argument. Um, I don't think it's an impossible or immoral argument to make, but it's not the one that, that I it's not the one that I would choose because, because, uh, I think the minute you begin to choose professionally over I'm personally, but I'm saying morally, like yeah. if, if you're, if your personal moral is the right thing and you're confident of that yeah. and you choose the professional thing, you don't know if you have a tomorrow, like you don't know if you will be able to get to do the big thing later right. on. Right. All you have is this very moment. And I, I. I just I think it's very, very dangerous to do the wrong thing now in hopes to do the right thing later.
0: Now, it's, it can se- I think it can seem clearer when we're talking about Lincoln at the time of slavery and an opportunity to end it. But what about the same question when it's a, a religious person being asked to enforce laws that go against their own religion, specifically in America, Where, where yeah, we, so what, like, what's an example of? We we are not a theocratic state, right? So, yeah. uh, there are, um, well, uh, a woman's ability to choose to get an abortion, right? They can't be um, barricaded from entrance to an abortion clinic. There are, I'm certain, legislators that hold religious views where that's wrong. We, we know there are, right? Yeah. But you still would have to, your duty would be to, like, let's say there's actually people trying to barricade a woman from going into an abortion clinic. Right now, law of the land, your duty would be to remove those people to allow the woman to go into the clinic to get an abortion, which would go against your religious principles. Yeah. So is it honorable to go against your personal wish, your religious principles, right? Your, your morals... In service to your duty.
1: I mean, I... So, like... Okay, so so again, if, if that is what you believe and you believe that firmly and there's no wiggle room on that, mm. you don't have to go against your personal wishes. Now, that would end up with you getting fired yeah. and you would lose your important and prestigious seat in Congress or whatever. Sure. But you do have a choice. Like, you can choose to... Mm-hmm. your personal wish, there's just going to be consequences. Yeah. And obviously you don't like those consequences. And so you might not want to do it. Even though you say you want to do it. Yeah. You might actually uh, prefer to not have the consequences. The consequences might be the thing that makes your choice rather than like the wrong thing is, is what you're deciding on rather than the right thing.
0: Right. Yeah. I I struggle with this one.
1: Yeah, I, I I think it's a struggle because it's it's always the right thing. Like, uh, shoot, I'm using too many complicated words here. Um, they're not complicated words, but like, uh, the the consequences versus the benefits. Yeah, yeah. And then the moral versus the immoral. Hmm. I think people usually make that choice based off the consequences, because they don't oh, see yeah. like if whatever your morals are, or
0: right, because you, if you choose
1: the moral thing, yeah. there's no benefit. You don't get paid. You get you just get consequences. Yeah. I'm arguing that if if you have a set of morals, that there is a benefit to behaving morally and behaving yeah. in the best interests of what you have what you have decided, right, even though there will be consequences along with that, yeah, that you walk out of that a stronger, more whole person. Right. You may be weaker and have less prestige, mm-hmm. but I believe you are stronger for, for following your morals. Yeah, I, but you will be discarded and and set aside.
0: Right, right. I, I, there's just like, I guess I see some of it as, as when you take a position that has a certain amount of duty, you're in some ways agreeing to, um, to live in service to your duty. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that. It seems so clear now that um, Lincoln, that the ending of slavery, right? Yeah. It, it is. It was truly a moral correction that we enacted. But trying to move it to like taking that away, where there's this like mass human tragedy.
1: Well, still a moral sure. correction.
0: Hmm? Yeah. Wait.
1: I said, I think you said taking it away.
0: No, no, just that, like, taking that, not looking, not using that example, but going to a lesser example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Where there's there's less human, uh, mass human. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. Where, because, like, okay, maybe.
1: So, so let's let, let's just do it on a personal level yeah. of, like, telling a lie. yeah. Right? Like if you tell a lie, but it's
0: like... Well, like the famous example, uh, the Nazis knocking your door and... But that's, Sorry, that's too extreme. These. That's too... Again, that's, okay. that's way too extreme. Sure.
1: Like just telling a lie that's going to benefit you three hours from now. Maybe to tell a lie to your boss that's going to benefit you three hours from now, but it's it's not the moral thing to do. Well, it's not the moral thing to do,
0: but I also wouldn't have a duty to lie.
1: Yeah, but we, you can place that in the, in the hypothesis, right? That you have some sort of professional duty to lie to your boss and you're going <clears> to <throat> fix it and everything will be fine. <laughs> Oh, man. So, you're, so you're telling a lie, but three hours from now, it won't be a lie, but you are lying now in this moment. Mm-hmm. But in the future, right, you're, 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 it's the gamble of lying now, but three hours from now, everything will be good and it'll be better for the company even. Right? You, you, I mean, if you, if you make an yeah. argument, yeah. you want to make it a steel match, so You want to weigh it down and make it as strong as possible. <laughs> so one one lie now, three hours from now, it will benefit the company. You're going to make a sale. And your boss won't even know because right. it'll be true. See, that, it's just a lie now.
0: Yeah. And in this example, I would choose like the moral path. Just like be honest and explain, I need three hours. Sure. Because that's the right thing to do. And then you didn't, because uh, in it uh, a lie that will eventually correct itself, there's a risk that you don't make it. Yeah. That you can't correct. Um,
1: And that's the thing. So like. I, th- I think... Ah, I wish I had data. I don't have any data. I, I think people often choose that when it's like the... the when it's this this scale. Yeah. And then minute you scale it up, you'll go, ah, no, no It's a different decision. And that's always interesting to me where it's, it's more difficult at a higher scale yeah. even though it's essentially the same decision. Mm-hmm. And maybe there are arguments that I'm unaware of that make it not the same decision, but I see it as the same decision regardless of scale. Well, and it, d- it may- that might be improper. In my part. Maybe the scale does change it, but... Well, I, I don't think it does.
0: I do want to bring this thought into this because I think it works. So Lincoln feels bound to his duty, right, over his personal wish. But who defines your duty, and what is your duty? Is it the that's preservation of the union? That's what he's choosing, and in some ways, that's what he's choosing, saying that the preservation of the union that comes for, foremost. But why wasn't it the expansion of the promise within the Declaration of Independence? Which he seems to, like, understand and believe in. That all men, we need to view all men as being created equal.
1: I mean, yeah. So, like, I mean, because he says, my paramount object in the struggle is to save the Union and is not either to save or destroy slavery. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty. And I intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free. It's, I mean, it's, it's, that's such an interesting quote for him to be able to, like, he sees his duty and can define what, he's, what he sees as his view mm-hmm. of his duty and can also define, this where, is my personal wish.
0: And where it's in conflict, yeah.
1: And he sees them as in conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean,
0: I, I mean, I could grant to him very easily that if the union does not continue to exist, there is no chance of freeing the slaves in the South that will now be a new country. Right. You can certainly make that argument. So, yeah. like, if I want any shot at my future, like the union must prevail, and maybe he's going to make some uh, what we would view as mistakes or misguided choices in an attempt to first save the union because he has no idea if if it'll survive.
1: Yeah, I mean, so like the with with just the binary options, if we keep uh, keep it binary, the other options for him to what have like freeing the slaves as the first priority and saving the union as the second. So in this letter to this guy, he says, we will be freeing the slaves and we will be saving the union.
0: Yeah. Just get off my back for a second. <laughs> like, it's all going to happen. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't... Um, again, like if he had said, we will free the slaves, we will save the union, that's an A+. Yeah. I, I look at this, It's it's... Yeah, I mean, you have to keep, you have to keep the personal insight. Because you, when you, it's it's so strange to me. Maybe this is just a product of the times. His professional, professionally, he says, is not either to save or destroy slavery. And then he says, but personally, I wish that all men everywhere could be free. Yeah, it's that's such a very that's just strange to, to me.
0: have such delineation between, yeah, personal and professional. duty versus.
1: And I suppose, I mean, at the time, there was probably a... I'm, well, I'm sure there was. I know, I know there was. There's a great larger delineation between private and public life. Mm-hmm. And today, we know what our elite celebrities said to eat for breakfast because of social media.
0: Yeah, and we know what most of their buttholes look like. Like There, there is no delineation between much. private and public life. Yeah.
1: So I guess thinking about it that way, yeah, more people had the ability to have two separate, yeah, two separate lives. And that's strange to us because we don't really have separate lives most of us don't mm-hmm. but yeah i mean I'd, I'd still like so you personally you want this professionally you're uh, still kind of a b plus yeah i think especially in light of um what he was able to end up
0: doing yeah
1: and a b plus isn't bad it's
0: not bad i refrain from grading uh anyone who achieves a presidency of any kind because i'll i've done nothing Oh, I do, I do not. I do not give that right away. No, no, no,
1: no. All right, so let's get to the Emancipation Proclamation. Quote, When, in September 1862, Lincoln issued his preliminary Emancipation Proclamation, it was a military move, giving the South four months to stop rebelling, threatening to emancipate their slaves if they continued to fight, promising to leave slavery untouched in states that came over to the North. That, on the first day of January AD 1863 all persons held as slaves within the state or designated part of a state the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States shall be then thenceforward forward and forever free thus when the emancipation proclamation was issued January 1 1863 it declared slaves free in those areas still fighting against the union which it listed very carefully, and said nothing about slaves behind union lines. As Hofstetter put it, the Emancipation Proclamation had all the moral grandeur of a bill of lading. The London Spectator wrote concisely, The principle is not that a human being cannot justly own another, but that he cannot own him unless he is loyal to the United States. Limited as it was, the Emancipation Proclamation spurred anti-slavery forces. By the summer of 1864, 400,000 signatures asking legislation to end slavery had been gathered and sent to Congress, something unprecedented in the history of the country. That April, the Senate had adopted the 13th Amendment, declaring an end to slavery, and in January 1865, the House of Representatives followed. End quote.
0: When does summer happen? Generally, is it June? June?
1: I mean, are you in Wisconsin? Or are you in Florida?
0: I historical summertime because this in is May, May, yeah, May. Okay, because it says by summer, four hundred thousand signatures were gathered, but the Senate had already adopted the Thirteenth Amendment at that point because they did it in April.
1: So mm. then
0: maybe that was at yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, don't I know. do want to know the more about the the politics and the and the. Like who held the power at this time? Was Lincoln powerful enough? Like if we if we criticize him for not doing enough, like sounds like some of the newspapers at the time did. Was I Lincoln did, powerful I did, I did enough to up, get all of this done in one fell swoop?
1: I did look up the London Spectator because I was curious. Like, is this? I I, I found the, the yeah. old timey yeah article. Oh, nice. I was like, oh, that is like a thing because I was like, that's just such an interesting thing to find. Yeah, from London. I, I, again, it's the British then critiquing. And it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating that they, I mean, they just, they, they got, they got to equality, right. got to equality first and looked over at America and were like, <laughs> and, I mean, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, so I got to imagine that the executive branch Lincoln, uh, was not as, not nearly as powerful as the executive branches today. Um, I mean, my understanding is that the executive branch has just grown and grown and grown as time has gone. Definitely
0: employs a lot of people now.
1: That there's more and more power kind of held there, yeah, um, and that Congress would have had uh, more, more mm-hmm. power then than it does now in some sense. Yeah, I mean for for the District of Columbia to be under Congress, I don't. I, actually, I don't know how it is now, so maybe I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> I, think, I don't know what. It's not. Well, it's
0: a lot smaller now than it was then. Uh, okay.
1: Well, there you go. Piece and piece but, and bit, bits and pieces. Yeah, together. I, I think it's
0: effective. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's still kind of controlled by Congress. There's they have a mayor. Yeah, this is everyone's favorite part of the podcast where we accidentally back into a corner that we know nothing about.
1: <laughs> yeah, <this laughs> like, the this like, specific politics of yeah. the District of Columbia.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, we are uh, we're not D- DC insiders.
0: No, 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 no.
1: Um. Yeah, I. The 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 military move in terms of like the strategic move itself makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, and I've heard that argument before. And that definitely, you just you need more bodies.
1: Okay, so question then for you: You've heard the military argument mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Then isn't that? I mean, even just that military argument, that's not really an argument for freeing the slaves for equality. Yeah, yeah. That's an argument for winning the
0: war. Well, when I've come across it, right, I've never come across it in like what we're doing right now, where we're really kind of like emerging ourselves in, especially for me, um, someone's ideology completely, primary source on how they view history.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so, so you, you'd, you'd come across before, but never... You never would have thought twice about, oh,
0: maybe. Yeah, no, like, maybe go like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But it wasn't in, like, where someone's actually uh, providing quotes and inciting cite- and, 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 right, like, building a whole argument around this. It's, like, a little video or a yeah, yeah. Little, little side note in a podcast or whatever. Um. Okay. Uh,
1: any comment then on, like, the, the notion of the... Uh, the slaves are free where they're fighting, but behind union lines there's no comment. I'm curious how much of a technicality
0: Well, I think that I think that just is perfectly in line with what said that it was a military move, right? Because if they're already behind union lines there's no destabilization effect by freeing those slaves or by affecting that. But on the other side, you're hoping for destabilization. You're hoping for what? What kind of ended up happening, where slaves just started fleeing and and joining the Union Army, and tens of thousands. I think at one point there was like 200,000 blacks yeah. fighting in the Union Army.
1: Yeah, and so my 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 question here is: um, Is there an assumption that well, the well I shouldn't say slaves but like blacks in the Union were already free? I guess that's what I'm asking. Like, So it's like, we don't need to free them in the union because they're already free. We don't need to write it in because they're already free. Or is this sort of another like, oh, this really actually is pretty, it's, I, it's really not as good as it looks.
0: I also don't know what he's defining as union lines at this point. Sure. Like where they moved to, had they moved across former slave state lines. So... There's some slave plantations that are now behind union lines that formerly were in slave states that would now be like I don't
1: I don't well, know. Well, he did make a comment about if you join the union, yeah, then we won't change your I think he made that comment, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you join the union, we won't change your rules. Right. Because now you're part of the union.
0: Again, just like desperately trying to hold it together. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I I had always thought the Emancipation Proclamation was like everybody's free. Maybe that's just like the, it's it's good naming. It's a really good name, <laughs> the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah, It's really good marketing. Everybody on that heard one. it
0: right away. Everybody knew it, it was just like a trumpet from heaven. Yeah. Like, oh, all right. Throw down your hoe. We can go down. We can. We're free now. But within within
1: two years of it comes the Thirteenth Amendment. Yeah, and then the House representatives So like it was whatever it was. It was then a landslide. Right. It opened the door. It was moving.
0: It it. It, it was, was tr- It was
1: trending, right? Yeah, it was
0: some change. It wasn't everything, but it was some change. Yeah. So,
1: all right. So we've got just I don't know a couple of paragraphs on Civil War and I know. the whole <laughs> Civil War.
0: Great work. Seven hundred friggin' pages and like two paragraphs of the Civil War. All right. Okay.
1: Real quick, brief note. Uh, I recommended a movie last time we spoke, The New World. Yeah. Uh, and um, my my mother. I spoke to my mother. And she had watched it. And she I'd made her watch another one of the director's films. She liked it. But she convinced my father to watch it. My father's a, a good old Navy man. Yeah. Hunter, fisherman, outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. It's a very artistic film. There are a couple fight scenes. Sure. But it's a couple fight scenes. Like, <laughs> even the dialogue, most of the dialogue is, like, voiceover, like, within the character's head. Okay. So, like, even the dialogue <laughs> okay. is an artistic manner. Yeah. <laughs> And that, that's what that reminded me of, It's of, uh, the classic. I've read 700 pages about history, and I get a paragraph about the war.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: Quote, the Civil War was one of the bloodiest in human history up to that time. 600,000 dead on both sides in a population of 30 million. The equivalent in the United States of 1978 with a population of 250 million of 5 million dead. As the battles became more intense, as the bodies piled up, as war fatigue grew, the existence of blacks in the South, 4 million of them, became more and more a hindrance to the South, and more and more an opportunity for the North. Dubois, in Black Reconstruction, pointed this out. These slaves had enormous power in their hands. Simply by stopping work, they could threaten the Confederacy with starvation. By walking into the federal camps, they showed to doubting Northerners the easy possibility of using them thus, by the same gesture depriving their enemies of their use in just these fields. It was this plain alternative that brought Lee's sudden surrender. Either the South must make terms with its slaves, free them, use them to fight the North, and thereafter no longer treat them as bondsmen, or they could surrender to the North with the assumption that the North after the war must help them to defend slavery as it had before. Black women played an important part in the war, especially toward the end. Sojourner Truth, the legendary ex-slave who had been active in the women's rights movement, became a recruiter of black troops for the Union Army, as did Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin of Boston. Harriet Tubman raided plantations, leading black and white troops, and in one expedition, freed 750 slaves. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. L- a f- lot of freak- a five foot tall woman who's missing teeth but always has a pistol on her <laughs> starts plantation. plantations like come on <laughs> yeah I'm I'm shocked I haven't seen that where's the film I know they want they want
1: there was a miniseries the, I think like a, on, on Harriet but I think it was one of like Showtime or something. Yeah. I never I never watched it
0: yeah there's like there's like a a glut now of uh, female driven like superhero movies and what not Wh- where's this one
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I want to see the full Harriet biopic. I'm, I'm saying this now, there's going to be one, and I'm going to sound like a fool because I just didn't know.
0: Well, we want, we want a fresh one. Yeah, we want a fresh one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, women moved with the colored regiments that grew as the Union Army marched through the South, helping their husbands, enduring terrible hardships on the long military treks in which many children died. They suffered the fate of soldiers. As in April 1864, when Confederate troops at Fort Pillow, Kentucky, massacred Union soldiers who had surrendered, black and white, along with women and children, in an adjoining camp. What happened to blacks in the Union Army and in the northern cities during the war gave some hint of how limited the emancipation would be, even with full victory over the Confederacy. Off-duty black soldiers were attacked in northern cities, as in Zanesville, Ohio, in February 1864, where cries were heard to kill the N-word. Black soldiers were used for the heaviest and dirtiest work, digging trenches, hauling logs and cannon, loading ammunition, digging wells for white regiments. White privates received $13 a month. Negro privates received $10 a month. Late in the war, a black sergeant of the 3rd South Carolina Volunteers, William Walker, marched his company to his captain's tent and ordered them to stack arms and resign from the army as a protest against what he considered a breach of contract because of unequal pay. He was court-martialed and shot from unity. Finally, in June 1864, Congress passed a law granting equal pay to Negro soldiers. The Confederacy was desperate in the latter part of the war, and some of its leaders suggested the slaves, more and more an obstacle to their cause, be enlisted, used, and freed. After a number of military defeats, the Confederate Secretary of War, Judah Benjamin, wrote in late 1864 to a newspaper editor in Charleston. It is well known that General Lee, who commands so largely the confidence of the people, is strongly in favor of our using the Negroes for defense and emancipating them, if necessary, for that purpose. One general, indignant, wrote, If slaves will make good soldiers, our whole theory of slavery is wrong. By early 1865, the pressure had mounted and in March President Davis of the Confederacy signed a Negro soldier law authorizing the enlistment of slaves as soldiers to be freed by consent of their owners and their state governments but before it had any significant effect the war was over end quote
0: yeah I never knew that I never knew that even in the Confederate States they were starting to try they were going to allow the enlistment of slaves
1: uh yeah no that was new new to me as well probably surprising. because surprising
0: probably because it didn't really didn't really matter i don't yeah.
1: they were they were they were desperate to the point where yeah. they they wanted to win and it was the only yeah option they had left that's strange to imagine black slaves like that would have been so weird for a black slave to enlist in that i know and i don't yeah, I, I don't know i mean i know the law was signed um yeah, I mean, you get freed and are told to fight. Yeah, it's like, and
0: you are going to be put in the worst possible situation. You're sure, the front but it's lines. also
1: it's also like I am out of shackles. Yeah, and yeah, I'll fight, and you get you have an opportunity to get out potentially.
0: Yeah, yeah. so a uh, bit bit of humor I found in in this section. Um, so it wasn't quoted there, but as we were reading through it, um, so I had mentioned before that about like over. Hundreds of thousands of slaves fled the Confederacy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. Around like half a million, and like 200,000 of them ended up so joining many the people. Union Army. Yeah. And uh, this really annoyed plantation owners, obviously.
1: Shocking. And we have an awesome
0: quote here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to do a voice too. The owner of a large plantation in South Carolina and Georgia wrote in 1862 This war has taught us the perfect impossibility of placing the least confidence in the negro too numerous in too numerous instances those we esteem the most have been the first to desert us how dare they how dare those ungrateful slaves desert their masters <laughs> yeah and it's a, it's like a, there's like four quotes like this like
1: Ugh. It's every time. It's just. How could it's, they? it's just. It's so difficult to imagine someone saying that, writing that. Yeah. And it getting passed down in history to us.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I just like I, believing I, I, those words. Yeah, I can't imagine someone believing that. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess if anything, it just speaks to, like, I mean, that's the danger we start telling like lies, how, like
0: how deeply it was ingrained.
1: Yeah, you start believing your own lies, yeah. and. And we mean, talked about it last week. Yeah.
0: The, 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 uh, the woman, right? The, the yeah. woman. You can buy yourself for $1,000. We like tri- raised you like a child. Yeah. <laughs> sure you did. Sure you did.
1: Yeah. I, um, yeah. The most striking quote out of this right here to me was the general who says, if slaves will make good soldiers, our whole theory of slavery is wrong. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure he said just kind of like, sort of like almost tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. I actually think
0: it's like a really deep statement even just to be able to say that like like your foundations are crumbling because he's saying it
1: not like believing it he's saying like bah, there's, there's no way this theory of slave is wrong they'll be awful so like he didn't want them joining yeah right but his statement like proves the opposite point right like yeah you're you're getting shot at mm-hmm. by black soldiers right hundreds of thousands. that are killing you, Mm -hmm. and they're winning the war. Yeah. Yeah, they're good soldiers.
0: (laughs) And maybe they're also humans. (sighs) Wild thought. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Let's keep going.
1: The aftermath. Quote, Under congressional policy approved by Lincoln, the property confiscated during the war under the Confiscation Act of July 1862 would revert to the heirs of the Confederate owners. Dr. John Rock, a black physician in Boston, spoke at a meeting. Why talk about compensating masters? Compensate them for what? What do you owe them? What does the slave owe them? What does society owe them? Compensate the master? It is the slave who ought to be compensated. The property of the South is by right the property of the slave. Some land was expropriated on the grounds the taxes were delinquent and sold at auction. But only a few blacks could afford to buy this. In the South Carolina Sea Islands, out of 16,000 acres up for sale in March of 1863, freedmen who pooled their money were able to buy 2,000 acres, the rest being bought by northern investors and speculators. A freedman on the islands dictated a letter to a former teacher, now in Philadelphia. My dear young missus, do, my missus, tell Lincoln that we want land, dis bury land that is rich with the sweat of the face and the blood of the back. We could buy all we want, but they make the lots too big and cut we out. The word come from Lincoln's self that we take out claims and hold on to em and plant them and he will see that we get them, every man 10 or 20 acre. We too glad. We stake out and list, but for the time for plant, these commissionaries sells to white folks all the best land. Where Lincoln? In early 1865, General William T. Sherman, held a conference in Savannah, Georgia, with 20 Negro ministers and church officials, mostly former slaves, at which one of them expressed their need. The way we can best take care of ourselves is to have land and till it by our labor. Four days later, Sherman issued Special Field Order Number 15, designating the entire southern coastline 30 miles inland for exclusive Negro settlement. Freedmen could settle there, taking more no more than 40 acres per family. By June 1865, 40,000 freedmen had moved onto new farms in this area. But President Andrew Johnson, in August of 1865, restored this land to the Confederate owners, and the freedmen were forced off, some at bayonet point. End quote.
0: Johnson was such a dick. I know it's been written about a lot, but...
1: President Andrew... That's just never a good sign. Andrew Jackson,
0: <laughs> Andrew Johnson—they <clears throat> kind of have the same strategy. Yeah, massive dicks. Uh, I know it's been written about a lot too, but just—I
1: I, what honest, Reconstruction
0: I, would have looked like if Lincoln hadn't been assassinated? I mean, this Lincoln was assassinated in April, and then Johnson's like uh, undoing Special Field Order Number Fifteen by August. So, like,
1: gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. Andrew Johnson wasn't like a name I recognized. That's not like a name I wasn't like, oh, yeah, that's the president after Lincoln. I, I was like, Andrew Johnson. Okay. I was thinking, yeah. like, not Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Andrew Johnson.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's most well known for screwing up Reconstruction.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that, um, that, that makes sense. I just, I thought the um, the final quote of the, um, the freedman on the islands, I don't remember his name. Maybe he doesn't give a name. Um, but he like the end, where's Lincoln? Um, mm-hmm. Which is interesting that, I mean, whenever we talk about Lincoln now, today, in that moment, a freedman is going, Lincoln should be here. Lincoln should help us. Like, he expected Lincoln to help. Yeah, I don't think it's a... I think it's a fair subject to say that he had a good view of Lincoln.
0: Yeah. Oh, and for the listeners, um, well done on the read of that, Ethan, on the dictated letter. That's how it's actually written. Uh, Ethan wasn't doing a voice or pretending like those uh, are the yeah, actual words. Make that yeah. note.
1: That yeah. That yeah.
0: Like <laughs> tell Lincoln that we want to land. Like this is how it was actually dictated and included in quotes, um, quoted in the in the book. Which, Which I mean, th- is that called something when you uh, uh, when you write, when you dictate a letter as the person would say it, like in their vernacular, you don't like um, like you don't correct for their accent or whatever. you're talking like a Zin's part to. Well, he's just including a historical letter, right? A dictated letter to a former teacher now in Philadelphia. But it was dictated exactly as the person probably said it. Oh, like I thought they- he was writing it. Mm hmm.
1: I assumed he wrote the letter. it's does say dictated though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that's called. Yeah. I was assumed that he was like, you know, semi-literate. He was like right in the yeah. middle. Cause I mean, I, you can read it and you can, it makes sense. It sounds yeah. like it's, I don't know what you mean. No, I know exactly what it means. Right. Right. Um, yeah. It's strange. They would dictate it.
0: Like with their, with their like accent effectively. Like, yeah. I don't know.
1: No, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I know when I reading the book, I read it here. Just that last where Lincoln, like that, just mm-hmm. that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know what really hit
0: me is like at this time, so Lincoln could finally unite his duty with his heart's desire. Those two could finally be united in his goals, and he was dead.
1: Yeah, I as I was reading this, I didn't, I, I never even like thought about i guess because lincoln's assassination is such a big event yeah i've like I just, it's just very culturally resonant i never yeah. thought about like oh what if lincoln had lived mm-hmm. and thinking about yeah like black reconstruction mm-hmm. under lincoln
0: yeah what would it have looked like also I, when did they I, stop giving huge tracts of land for military service because that would have been handy right about now hundreds of acres <laughs> for, <laughs> for military service well but this is already owned land that's I did think of that too. And so we we should, you're not conquering at this point. You're trying to bring states back into the union. So it's a
1: yeah. I mean we should we should talk about it just briefly at least. I mean, um, so you have these southern states that slave owners and slaves, mm-hmm. and I mean, what's what are you supposed to do? Like what should be done on a governmental level? Yeah. because um, essentially the. Like what? The good thing is done. That's done. Is the southern coastline mm-hmm. thirty miles inland? Yeah. Is that? I guess it's tough because we don't have numbers. Like, is that enough? Mm-hmm. Um, it's in some sense. It's it's something. It's land. Um.
0: Did you ever see the movie Elysium? Matt Damon.
1: I did see it. I don't Remember it well. It was like future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's like this. This floating uh the spaceship above the earth where all the wealthy people live sure, sure, and they sure. have these like magic medical pods that you lay down in them you can do everything from like change your face to heal every malady so you're basically yeah. the, the the wealthy are basically immortal uh matt damon gets aboard elysium all the all like the poor people live on earth um gets on elysium does some like reprogrammy thing and they send all these medical pods down to earth oh they classify all the people on earth as citizens of elysium So then, all the medical pods go down to Earth, so that way people can be healed. Sure, and then the movie ends. Generally, when you're reading through the histories, a lot of them end at like Civil War ends, wrap that up, Lincoln assassinated. All right, now let's jump forward.
1: World War One. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, whatever's
0: next, right? Uh, And in Elysium, the movie ends with these medical pods going down to Earth, and it always bothered me because it's like. Well, you just sent like the, you just sent immortality down to this chaotic earth that's run by warlords. You just sent like the most valuable resources these people have ever seen, and you think it's just gonna like work out, like that? It's not gonna just descend into even worse chaos for mm. these masses of people grouped together on this planet, and like these warlords aren't gonna like try to take over these medical pods and stuff. Uh, so I feel like I, I lost a lot of that in. Like, I still don't know enough about Reconstruction and the messiness that happened afterwards of trying to, like, all right, we've, we freed the slaves. We defeated the South. Now what? So
1: Now what? Could we say this? That, that land is necessary.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: That what was needed was these people who have been disenfranchised for their whole lives mm-hmm. to be given land somewhere, somehow, and then to have land to then begin to... Build lives, generate wealth. Even just and, to grow
0: food so they don't starve. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And join the union as full fledged citizens.
0: Yeah. And it's just something I like I hadn't thought about.
1: Yeah. So Yeah, it's yeah, the the Johnson thing, man, it just makes me angry. I mean like I just I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was like I, I never knew that the assassination of Lincoln I don't know how you didn't know this. Now this is just making me mad. <laughs> like the assassination of Lincoln well, had well, massive consequences for Black Reconstruction.
0: Yeah, yeah, big time. Because it's such a massive event, and there's there's so, it. It's so theatrical. Bada bing! In the theater, yeah. No, it's so theatrical in like how it happened—an assassin in the theater, like all this stuff—that the the hyper focus on like that specific moment. I think it, it just you just can't hear anything else. Um, Yeah. All right. uh, We got one more quote.
1: Quote, the American government had set out to fight the slave states in 1861, not to end slavery, but to retain the enormous national territory and market and resources. Yet victory required a crusade. And the momentum of that crusade brought new forces into national politics. More blacks determined to make their freedom mean something more whites, whether freedmen's bureau officials or teachers in the Sea Islands or carpetbaggers with various mixtures of humanitarianism and personal ambition concerned with racial equality. There was also the powerful interest of the Republican Party in maintaining control over the national government with the prospect of Southern Black votes to accomplish this. Northern businessmen seeing Republican policies as beneficial to them went along for a while. The result was that brief period after Civil War, in which Southern Negroes voted, elected blacks to state legislatures, and to Congress, introduced free and racially mixed public education to the South. A legal framework was constructed. The 13th Amendment outlawed slavery, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States, or any place subject to their jurisdiction. The 14th Amendment was repudiated the pre-war Dred Scott decision by declaring that all persons born or naturalized in the United States were citizens. It also seemed to make a powerful statement for racial equality, severely limiting states' rights. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privilege or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. The 15th Amendment said, The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Congress passed a number of laws in the late 1860s and early 1870s in the same spirit laws making it a crime to deprive Negroes of their rights, requiring federal officials to enforce those rights, giving Negroes the rights to enter contracts and buy property without discrimination. And in 1875, a Civil Rights Act outlawed the exclusion of Negroes from hotels, theaters, railroads, and other public accommodations. With these laws, with the Union Army in the South as protection and a civilian army of officials in the Freedmen's Bureau to help them, Southern Negroes came forward voted, formed political organizations, and expressed themselves forcefully in issues important to them. They were hampered in this for several years by Andrew Johnson, vice president under Lincoln, who became president when Lincoln was assassinated at the close of the war. Johnson vetoed bills to help Negroes. He made it easy for Confederate states to come back into the Union without guaranteeing equal rights to blacks. During his presidency, these returned Southern states enacted Black Codes, which made the freed slaves like serfs, still working the plantations. For instance, Mississippi, in 1865, made it illegal for freed men to rent or lease farmland and provided for them to work under labor labor contracts, which they could not break under penalty of prison. It also provided that the courts could assign black children under 18 who had no parents or whose parents were poor to forced labor, called apprenticeships, with punishment for runaways. Andrew Johnson clashed with senators and congressmen who, in some cases for reasons of justice, and others out of political calculation, supported equal rights and voting for the freedmen. These members of Congress succeeded in impeaching Johnson in 1868, using as an excuse that he had violated some minor statute, but the Senate fell one vote short of the two-thirds required to remove him from office. In the presidential election of that year, Republican Ulysses Grant was elected, winning by 300,000 votes, with 700,000 Negroes voting. And so, Johnson was out as an obstacle. Now, the Southern states could come back into the Union only by approving the new constitutional amendments. End quote.
0: Small incremental change. Small incremental progress. But still just like a lot of nastiness. I mean, it's not all progress, though. No. (laughs) (laughs) Johnson Johnson was a dick. That's like regress. Oh yeah, think think about this. It would be worse to be. I mean, it's um, both, but. Yeah, what? What? He he doesn't use this term right here, but uh, yeah, when he calls them freed slaves like serfs working the plantations, shoot, what's the? There's like a farming term. Um. Were you? technically where you kind of own the farm but really you're like owning it. It's like on a loan from the main plantation owner and like you have to make massive payments that you can basically never get out from under and... I mean, Zin, Zin, would Zin would
1: call it slavery.
0: No, 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 I know, but there's a term for it like... <laughs> like a the, technical... Yeah, that they, they, they refer... Ah, oh, man. yeah, I can't think of it right now. Sorry, everybody. Uh, we're gonna move... We're, uh, whatever. Throw. I'll figure it out by next week. But there's this like horrible thing that happens where the incentives for the 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 power holders in 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 the in the confederate states so just think of like a, a plantation owner right there is now not even the most minor incentive to look after the free blacks because you can no longer hold them as slaves as true property where you would have some incentive to like feed them so that way they can continue to work for you. Because now they're freed, so you don't have that sort of domination. Now they have their own land that they're farming and kind of benefiting you. But really, if they starve this winter, now that land's up for grabs and I can just get it back. I can't use slaves to work it anymore anyways, so just like. You're saying it's worse. Yeah. Or an
1: argument can be made that this situation is yeah, worse that, due to less incentive.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to kind of dance around that because (laughs) to be very specific why it's worse. Yeah, it's it's worse, you know, at the time, at the moment for those individuals. I could see that it would be, yeah, it could be worse. It could be, but
1: I I don't, I don't, I don't think there is a but. I mean, like, well, if, if, if we're going to that moment in time, Mm -hmm. like there is no but. You've you've been freed. You are a freed man, and then you're back on the same plantation working it, Yeah, and it's not yours.
0: And now there's
1: like there's there's no there's, but there. That's just like it's worth, yeah. I mean, like I just read these stories and I just go like, man, like the I don't even know I, I don't even know because well, you can't I have the proper word yeah. like the courage, the resiliency of just like the black spirit to like keep going. Yeah, like I can't imagine. I I I just I cannot imagine. Yeah.
0: Because you're not even free.
1: No, no.
0: Yeah. I,
1: no, I mean, like I, again, the idea that like it is one thing to be called a slave mm-hmm. and be a slave. At least then, like, there's like some things are in alignment. Yeah, they're both bad things, but they're aligned. Yeah. To be called free.
0: Yeah. But to be a slave. But to be a slave. Yeah.
1: Is I I think it's fundamentally worse. Because then it's like, no, no, they're free. Everyone can say they are free. Yeah, you are
0: free. That's what I mean where it's like, now it's all on you, figure it out.
1: Yeah. I mean uh, the, the, that's I, I think that's fundamentally yeah. Um I'm reading uh Orwell's nineteen eighty four right now, mm. about halfway through. Great. And yeah. so much of that is like this language games mm-hmm. where it's called one thing even though it's like it's obviously another. Yeah. And yeah, it just it's incredible it's incredible to me. The, the black spirit to, to never like give in and to believe mm-hmm. and to keep like fighting for equality yeah um be, because there, there are so many people who who would who would give in and I'm sure there were people across just break. All, yeah. all races all colors that have given in across time yeah but I mean like that's it's not a simple thing to keep going right and when the when it, when you when when you think you've got it this time, Mm-hmm. And then to watch it all, Lincoln Lincoln gets assassinated, and yeah, where's Lincoln? Lincoln's not here, but Andrew Johnson is, and he yeah, is, he's, a, he's
0: not on your side. No, no. But then they got Grant, and I think we'll learn a little mo- bit more about him next week. Fun fact: I've been inside Grant's house. Where's it up? Galena, Illinois. Galena, yeah, cute little town, Galena. Uh, a lot of, like, preserved houses, a lot of, like, historical places that you can go and see. And Grant's uh, home is one of them. You can take a tour of it. Very nice. Yeah, it's cute. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us for part two. It was a long one. But if you want to reach out to us, uh, talk with us, join the conversation, uh, please email us at workshop at gmail.com. That's the d a e d a l u s workshop at gmail dot com.
1: We'll have that in the episode description as well. So if you want to like copy and paste out of the like the email list out, there you go. Also, is it, okay. Sorry, this is is this actually a longer one? I don't think it's actually longer. It just feels longer because of the subject matter.
0: I mean, we went. I think like twenty minutes longer.
1: That's not that much longer, <laughs> but it does. This one does feel heavier. I think because of like yeah. where we're leading off, and it's like. The spark of hope and is
0: poof. Yeah, ended on it's a downer, time. which is perfect for a part two of an episode. Got to end on a downer, right? In a trilogy. Yeah. Part two.
1: I Although I can't promise there's going to be hope at the end of part three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, we will do in the third and final part of chapter nine. Um, it's on Black Reconstruction in the late 19th century. Thanks for being here. Cheers.